0: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, greeting the new... Year and uh, it seems apropos, does it not? It's our 52nd episode, 52 weeks in a year, and 2023 is now upon us. Well, my New Year's was quiet but uh, satisfactory. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Haven't done a whole heck of a lot on New Year's Eve since probably my mid-twenties. I am not a uh, party guy. Never have been. In fact, the family and I, and I just mean me and my wife and my son, my daughter was not at this particular dinner. We were talking about such things over an evening meal and discussing how for me and my son and we uh, consider ourselves introverts, the, uh, when you go out to socialize and all that, like it feels like work in a way uh, that work doesn't necessarily feel like work. It, it, it requires a certain amount of concentration, which quickly can turn to drudgery, after about, in my case, 60 to 90 minutes. After about 90 minutes, two hours, I'm no good at a party. Like I, I mentioned to Martha, I, I said, you probably have never noticed this, but when we have parties, which we occasionally do, not very often, because I, I try to avoid them, but when we have people over, after about an hour, an hour and a half, like I will just disappear. I will just go elsewhere and close the door and recharge for 15 20 minutes or so and I will just do this throughout the evening It's the only way I can get through it I cannot be among too many people for too long it's just it's just a quirk of my personality and and I suspect probably many of you as well my son's the same way my wife Martha on the other hand she, although she is loath to call herself this, is an extrovert. She was confusing extroversion or introversion, I should say, with shyness. And of course, they're not the same thing because she was a, ch- a shy child and so never thought of herself as an extrovert. But in fact, she is. She, she gains energy from being around people and other people deplete my energy. Like I need to be alone most of the time. It took me a long time to understand this about myself, but I need, with a capital N, to be alone most of the time, or in some approximation of solitude, which is why perhaps I like poker, because you can be alone at the poker table, even though you're playing with other people, you are in a sense, very much by yourself. I mean, you can be more social if you care to be, but you can you can very much just sort of disappear into your own self at the poker table. That is what I enjoy doing. I, like, nay, need to be alone. So, New Year's Eve, with all of its, you know, parties and festivities and glitter and hoopla and all that, like, has never really been a good holiday for me. There aren't many good holidays for those of us who prefer to be in solitude 90 to 98% of the time. But it was pleasant. You know, it's nice to be here, home at, uh, at our haunted mansion here in Savannah, Georgia. The uh, The city... Um the city becomes alive with gunfire around midnight. This is new to me. Now, I know other places in the country do this where people who have guns just start firing them into the air. But it is my first time in an environment like that, and I don't care for it. I mean, there were so many guns going off, it really sounded like a war zone. Very close to my home. I just hearing gunfire, and it's alarming. It's not what I enjoy. I don't enjoy hearing guns being blasted off into the night. And you can, you know, it's not fireworks. You can tell the difference. You know, you get these semi-automatic weapons just going, just one after the other. People, you know, shooting them off in a celebratory manner. Well, I don't find it very celebratory. Guns do not excite me nor please me as if you are only vaguely aware of my POV on such matters you are probably already aware of. Yeah, so it was quiet, you know, it was quiet and pleasant and, uh, you know, I'm trying to clean up my act a little. It's not so much a New Year's Eve thing as it is once the holidays come to an end and I have consumed more than my weight and sugar over the previous month, it is time to just kind of detox and get back into the groove of caring about my health. It was around this time last year, or actually it was in December of 2021, that I began a uh, kind of a fitness journey and it proved to be somewhat successful. I need to get back on that horse. Speaking of horses, one has been going back and forth from Thrushcross Grange to Wuthering Heights and back again. The horse's name, of course, is Minnie. I almost said Mr. Ed because I had said the horse is a, ho- a horse, of course, and then you know, you get into the theme song for Mr. Ed, but. That is, uh, it was anachronistic by the time I learned that theme song, and it is doubly so now. So I didn't say it, and then felt the need to digress into why I didn't say it, which defeated the purpose of not saying it to begin with. But Minnie the Horse has been going back and forth from Thrushcross Grange to Wuthering Heights, carrying upon its back one very naughty Kathy Junior, because she has been secretly visiting her cousin Linton and uh, and Nellie has caught her in the act, and now she is coming clean and telling of her trips. Um, the last thing that happened was Hareton she was making basically making fun of Hareton for no good reason and being cruel about it and then uh, hurting his feelings and uh, making him bashful and ashamed and you hear you hear my dog just yelling about shit anyway so she had gone in to see Linton and he's you know he's uh he's feeling sickly of course and he makes her promise that uh he'll come again she'll come again even b- before she's sat down uh to hang out with him this time so uh well let's pick it up there we are in chapter 24 of wuthering heights <laughs> And uh, Linton has just said, I was sure you wouldn't break your word, and I'll make you promise again (sighs) (sighs) before you go. I knew now that I mustn't tease him as he was ill, and I spoke softly and put no questions and avoided irritating him in any way. I had brought some of my nicest books for him. He asked me to read a little of one, and I was about to comply when Earnshaw burst the door open, having gathered venom with reflection. He advanced direct to us, seized Linton by the arm, and swung him off the seat. "'Get to thy own room,' he said in a voice almost inarticulate with passion." and his face looked swelled and furious. Take her there if she comes to see thee. Thou shalt keep me out of this. Be gone with ye both. He swore at us and left Linton no time to answer, nearly throwing him into the kitchen, and he clenched his fist as I followed, seemingly longing to knock me down. I was afraid for a moment, and I let one volume fall. He kicked it after me and shut us out. Well, yeah, because you were being so, um, and you know, excuse the word, but I'm going to say it cunty to him, making fun of him. He was so proud. He was able to spell out his name. And then you said, well, what about the figures? And he couldn't do it. And you laughed and called him a dunce. And you deserve everything that's coming to you, Kathy Jr. You're a terrible person. You know, you're just, you're just a lousy, you're certainly a lousy cousin because you're his cousin, and you, you know, you shouldn't treat people so poorly. They're, it's gonna come back and bite you in the tuchus, and that's what happened. So now you, uh, you, he's kicking his books after you, and he's being cruel, and he's throwing you out of the, out of the living room and saying, "Go up to your room." And man, you know, it's terrible. I heard a malignant, crackly laugh by the fire, and turning, beheld that odious Joseph standing, rubbing his bony hands and quivering. I were sure he'd serve you it, is a grand lad, is getting to right spirit in him. He knows, eh, he knows, as well as all do, who should be to meister yonder. Ech, 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 He skift skipped properly. Ech, ech, ech. And then, of course, we've got a footnote, because it's, you know, who knows what... Who knows what he's saying? He says, he was saying, I was sure he'd serve you out, give you your just desserts. He's a grand lad. He has the right spirit in him. He knows. Yes, he knows as well as I do who should be the master yonder. He made you skip properly. And of course, he should be the master of the house. It was his father's property, you know? And, uh... Oh, it's just terrible. Because his his poor father, the drunk, the gambler, uh, you know, lost it, lost control of Wuthering Heights to Heathcliff, who indulged him and lent him money and got in Hawk, and now Heathcliff is just lording lording it over him, you know, the way his father did to Heathcliff when they were children. And again. You know, it just seems so petty. What a what a what a petty way to spend one's life. Rehashing old wounds, grievous injuries, and trying to make them well again through vengeance. It's not it's not a good way to pass one's life. Where must we go? I said to my cousin, disregarding the old wretch's mockery. Linton was white and trembling. He was not pretty then, Ellen, oh no. He looked frightful, for his thin face and large eyes were wrought into an expression of frantic, powerless fury. He grasped the handle of the door and shook it. It was fastened inside. If you don't let me in, I'll kill you. If you don't let me in, I'll kill you. He rather shrieked and then said, devil, devil, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Joseph uttered his croaking laugh again. There, that's the father, he cried. That's father. We've always summed other, other side in us. Never heed her, lad. Don't it be feared. He cannot get at thee. So he's saying, oh, now there's your dad right there, finally. We're seeing a flash of your father in you, young Linton. I took hold of Linton's hands and tried to pull him away, but he shrieked so shockingly that I dared not proceed. At last his cries were choked by a dreadful fit of coughing. Blood gushed from his mouth, and he fell on the uh, on the ground. I ran into the yard, sick with terror, and called for Zillah as loud as I could. She soon heard me. She was milking the cows in a shed behind the barn, and hurrying from her work, She inquired what there was to do. I hadn't breath to explain. Dragging her in, I looked about for Linton. Earnshaw had come out to examine the mischief he had caused, and he was then conveying the poor thing upstairs. Zilla and I ascended after him, but he stopped me at the top of the steps and said I shouldn't go in, I must go home. I exclaimed that he had killed Linton, and I would enter. Joseph locked the door and declared I should do no such stuff, and asked me whether I were bound to be as mad as him. Are you born to be as mad as him?" I stood crying till the housekeeper reappeared. She affirmed that he would be better in a bit, but he couldn't do with that shrieking and din, and she took me and nearly carried me into the house. Ellen, I was ready to tear my hair off my head. I sobbed and wept so that my eyes were almost blind, and the ruffian you have such sympathy with stood opposite, presuming every now and then to bid me wished and denying that it was his fault, and finally, frightened by my assertions that I would tell Papa and that he should be put in prison and hanged, he commenced blubbering himself and hurried up to hide his cowardly agitation. I mean, you know, you just feel bad for the big galump, don't you? No, I do. I feel bad for him. You know, he's he's probably the most sympathetic character in the book. He's like, you know, he's like Harry Potter being kept under the stairs before he gets all magic-y and stuff. How do you not feel bad for poor young Harry Potter sitting there under the stairs with this all the people making fun of him and is uh, you know his his, uh, his his relatives you know treating him like shit and whatnot. I mean you just feel you just feel for the lad, do you not? I do, I do indeed, and I feel less and less for Kathy and Linton and you know. I don't know who's gonna die, but hopefully everybody. All right, why don't we take a quick break, and uh, we'll pick it up again in a moment here on Obscure. Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender. NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Back on Obscure, commenting yet again how terrible everybody in this story behaves, how misbegotten they all are, and how buried within each of them This is not something we've discussed, but let us call it what it is, is just tremendous hurt, tremendous festering vulnerability and pain. I mean, if we scoop away all of Heathcliff's excess and his malignancy and his vitriol, what are we left with? Just... A little boy there on the streets by himself wanting to find a home. But fuck that cause he sucks. I mean, you know, there's a the thing. You can, you can only play off the I'm a sad little boy thing for so long before it becomes uh, tedious and tiresome. And you can't let that be a crutch your whole life. And Heathcliff doesn't say it. I mean, Heathcliff's not out there talking about it but you know it's obvious what's going on with him psychologically and it's just it's just it's just poison i don't like it i don't like it and you know he's he's pretty much disappeared from the book for a while but of course like a specter he looms over everything because these are his machinations put into place this is his these are his workings the gears that are turning are being turned by him and it's terrible still I was not rid of him when at length they compelled me to depart and I had got some hundred yards off the premises. He suddenly issued from the shadow of the roadside and checked Minnie and took hold of me. Miss Catherine, I'm ill-grieved, he began, but it's rather too bad. I gave him a cut with my whip, thinking perhaps he would murder me. He let go, thundering one of his horrid curses, and I galloped home more than half out of my senses. I didn't bid you good night that evening, and I didn't go to Wuthering Heights the next. I wished to exceedingly, but I was strangely excited and dreaded to hear that Linton was dead sometimes, and sometimes shuddered at the thought of encountering Hareton. On the third day, I took courage. At least I couldn't bear longer suspense and stole off once more. I went at five o'clock and walked, Fancying I might manage to creep into the house and up to Linton's room unobserved. However, the dogs gave notice of my approach. Zilla received me, and saying the lad was mending nicely, showed me into a small, tidy, carpeted apartment, where, to my inexpressible joy, I beheld Linton laid on a little sofa reading one of my books. But he would neither speak to me nor look at me, "'Through a whole hour, Alan, he has such an unhappy temper. "'And what quite confounded me when he did open his mouth, "'it was to utter the falsehood that I had occasioned the uproar, "'and Hareton was not to blame. "'Unable to reply, except passionately, "'I got up and walked from the room. "'He sent after me a faint, "'Catherine!' "'He did not reckon on being answered so, "'but I wouldn't turn back, "'and the morrow was the second day on which I stayed at home.' nearly determined to visit him no more. Well, that's a curious change of heart, isn't it? From old Linton. Blaming Catherine, not Hareton, for the contra Well, that's a very strange, and I suppose we will learn what caused this about-face Um, But uh, for the the moment, anyway, we have a bit of a mystery, a mystery. So now just again, just to recount exactly what's happening, we've got Kathy Jr. telling the story to Ellen Dean, who's telling the story to Lockwood, who's telling the story to us. Again, all these stories nested within one another, a convention of the age, one which I am glad has died out. "'But it was so miserable going to bed and getting up "'and never hearing anything about him "'that my resolution—' "'Oh, be quiet! "'That my resolution melted. "'You, I—' "'What did I just say? "'I said, be quiet! "'That my resolution melted into air "'before it was properly formed. "'It had appeared wrong to take the journey once. "'Now it seemed wrong to refrain. "'Michael came to ask if he must saddle Minnie. "'I said, yes.' and considered myself doing a duty as she bore me over the hills. I was forced to pass the front windows to get to the court. It was no use trying to conceal my presence. Young masters in the house, said Zilla, as she saw me making for the parlor. I went in. Earnshaw was there also, but he quitted the room directly. Linton sat in the great armchair half asleep. Walking up to the fire, I began in a serious tone, Partly meaning it to be true. As you don't like me, Linton, and as you think I come on purpose to hurt you, and pretend that I do so every time, this is our last meeting, let us say goodbye and tell Mr. Heathcliff that you have no wish to see me and that he mustn't invent any more falsehoods on the subject. Well, she told him, but of course, she doesn't mean it. I wish she would. You know, let's let's just call a spade a spade here. The first half of the book, up through, let's say, Catherine Sr.'s death, is much more engaging than the second half. The, this, this generation of lovers is not nearly so compelling as the previous generation. Now, why that is, I don't know. Maybe because we feel the manipulation. Like Heathcliff and Catherine Sr.'s love, if you want to call it that, was born out of something primal. You know, primordial. Even uh, they are. They they were spirits cleaved in half, practically. But here, you know, this saved by the bell, the new generation. It just feels like they're kind of going through the motions, does it not? It's a lot of, it's a lot of uh, uh, fluff and and sturm and drong, and you know, there's there's teacups and tempests, but none of it seems to amount to much. They're playing at something without really fully being in it. One thing you, you you can certainly say about Heathcliff, he was in it. Fully. He was um, you know, immersed in his passions, as was Catherine Sr. But these these kids today, with their riding back and forth on mini and they're they're yelling at each other and they're fussing and fighting and you know they're their their little squabbles. It just doesn't seem to amount to a hill of beans, does it? Sit down and take your hat off, Catherine, he answered. You are so much happier than I am. You ought to be better. Papa talks enough of my defects and shows enough scorn of me to make it natural I should doubt myself. I doubt whether I am not altogether as worthless as he calls me frequently. And then I feel so cross and bitter. I hate everybody. I am worthless and bad in temper and bad in spirit almost always. And if you choose, you may say goodbye. You'll get rid of an annoyance. Only Catherine, do me this justice. Believe that if I might be as sweet and as kind and as good as you are, I would be as willingly and more so than as happy and as healthy, and believe that your kindness has made me love you deeper than if I deserved your love. And though I couldn't and cannot help showing my nature to you, I regret it and repent it, and shall regret and repent it till I die. I'm adding the panting sounds. He probably didn't have to pant afterwards, but in my mind, he is always short of breath and wan and in the cold sweats and shivering with fevers and fits and probably seizing and swallowing his tongue and all the rest of it. I felt he spoke the truth, and I felt I must forgive him, and though he should quarrel the next moment, I must forgive him again. We were reconciled. But we cried, both of us, the whole time I stayed, not entirely for sorrow. Yet I was sorry Linton had that distorted nature. He'll never let his friends be at ease, and he'll never be at ease himself. I have always gone to his little parlor since that night, because his father returned the day after. About three times, I think, we have been merry and hopeful, as we were the first evening. The rest of my visits were dreary and troubled, now with his selfishness and spite, and now with his sufferings, but I've learned to endure the former with nearly as little resentment as the latter. Mr. Heathcliff purposely avoids me. I have hardly seen him at all. Last Saturday, indeed, coming earlier than usual, I heard him abusing poor Linton cruelly for his conduct of the night before. I can't tell how he knew of it unless he listened— Linton had certainly behaved provokingly, however, it was the business of nobody but me, and I interrupted Mr. Heathcliff's lecture by entering and telling him so. He burst into a laugh and went away, saying he was glad I took that view of the matter. Since then, I've told Linton he must whisper his bitter things. Well... Heathcliff was chastising Linton, of course, because he's trying to get those two to marry, so when she comes in and scolds Heathcliff, well, that's only going to make him happy, of course, because to see her taking Linton's side against him, well, that's just bringing them closer together, is it not? Well, it is. Now, Ellen, you have heard all, and I can't be prevented from going to Wuthering Heights except by inflicting misery on two people. Whereas, if you'll only not tell Papa... "'My going need disturb the tranquility of none. "'You'll not tell, will you? "'It will be very heartless if you do. "'I'll make up my mind on that point by tomorrow, Miss Catherine,' I replied. "'It requires some study. "'And so I'll leave you to your rest and go think it over.' "'I thought it over aloud in my master's presence, "'walking straight from her room to his and relating the whole story.' with the exception of her conversations with her cousin and any mention of Hareton, Mr. Linton was alarmed and distressed more than he would acknowledge to me. In the morning, Catherine learnt my betrayal of her confidence and she learnt also that her secret visits were to end. In vain, she wept and writhed against the interdict and implored her father to have pity on Linton. All she got to comfort her was a promise that he would write and give him leave to come to the Grange when he pleased, but explaining that he must no longer expect to see Catherine at Wuthering Heights. Perhaps, had he been aware of his nephew's disposition and state of health, he would have seemed fit to withhold even that slight consolation. End of chapter 24, and we'll leave it there. Um, you know, it feels like we're building to something, although it's hard to say what. Surely Linton will die and we will be glad to be rid of him. Catherine Jr. too, perhaps will die and perhaps Hareton too will die, although he won't and I think we met Catherine Jr. when Lockwood showed up at the Wuthering Heights the first night. Every Everything was all in turmoil and everybody was sad and meager with their feelings and troubled and, you know, and, uh, nothing good is going to happen. That's, that's the upshot of the whole thing. Nothing good is going to happen. I mean, it's a, you know, it's just terrible, terrible circumstances for everybody involved. That's what we like here in Obscure. Terrible, terrible circumstances. And, uh, you know, we're getting there. We're, We're not that, we're not that far removed from the end of this book. Um, I don't know how many more episodes it'll be several many more episodes but but uh you know we'll be done sooner than you think and and then we'll all be sad together and uh and I'm looking forward to sadness you know because sadness is just a tremendous tremendous emotion no word on the Italy front that is uh, that continues to uh be in the hands of uh, the Italian bureaucrats the the nice polizie Uh, Police uh, the the magistrates have uh, my passport uh, and they eat uh, all the buffalo wings when they look at my passport uh. and uh, so we'll see what's going on with that but who knows what the new year brings that's what's always exciting about a new year we can only say with confidence that certain beloved celebrities will die that's really the only thing we can say about the coming year with confidence and uh, no more than that so We'll leave it here, and we'll pick it up on another scintillating episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Michael Ian Black. And get even more Obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening.